my scripture this morning, so please forgive me for that. That was not my, my intention, really, to, to make that. Let's read in Luke chapter 7, folks. We're studying through the, the Gospel of Luke these days, and we've arrived in chapter 7. The, the Bible says we worship in spirit and in truth. Right, okay, and really the first part of our meeting is worshiping in spirit, isn't it? We're, we sing and we pray and we, we have a quiet opportunity to, in our own spirit to worship the Lord. And now we come to read and preach the word of God, which is equally worship this morning, folks. The preaching of the word of God is an, an evidence of worshiping the Lord. And we're reading from Luke chapter 7, uh, and we're reading it starting at verse number 18. And we're reading predominantly about John the Baptist this morning, and the Lord Jesus, his, his comments on, in relation to the work of, of John the Baptist. And we're going to read from verse number 18. But before we do, I'm just going to quote a verse from John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, again, as, as a comment on the Lord Jesus commenting on the life of John the Baptist, this is how the Lord Jesus describes the very short, very powerful, very unusual ministry of, of John the Baptist. This is what the Lord says of him. He says in John 5.35, He was a burning and a shining light, and you were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. And the Lord Jesus says three things about John the Baptist's ministry. He calls him a burning and a shining light. Now, when we think about lights, we think about electric lights, don't we? We turn them on. And we're all now keen on making sure we get these long-life electric light bulbs, you know, that last six months and a year and halogen and all that sort of thing. In the Bible, a light was not a plug-in light and electricity that would last a long time. It was a, it was a taper and fat. It was like a candle. So when, when the Lord Jesus is saying he's a burning light, one of the things he's saying is that John was consumed with his ministry. It was a, a ministry that consumed him. And it's a ministry that was temporary because the Lord Jesus' public ministry was about three years. The public ministry of John was even less than that. It was about six months approximately. And so John's ministry was, was consumable and it was temporary and it was well received. Initially, John the Baptist's ministry was a very successful ministry. It was an unusual ministry, but it says that the whole of Judea went out to hear him. He was a guy that, whose ministry was initially very widely accepted. But when we start to read about him in chapter number 7 of, Luke, um, of, of Luke's gospel, he's in prison. Because his, his ministry was bold, and his ministry was faithful, and his ministry was short, and his ministry was punished, right? Because when he spoke up to Herod about Herod's immorality, his illicit marriage relationship, Herod put him in prison. And this prison is on the other side of the Jordan, about 30 miles away from Jerusalem. It was one of Herod's kind of palaces. And they, they stuck John out of the way. He wouldn't kill him because Herod knew that he was popular. And Herod wanted to be popular, so he didn't want to get rid of John the Baptist right away. So he, he, he hid him in, in this place. And when we start to read about him, he's probably been in prison for about a year. And it's clear from this scripture and other scriptures that John the Baptist was at least on occasions, allowed to get visitors to see him, right? 
At least two of his disciples were allowed to visit him in, in this prison that he was in. So when we, when we read in John chapter 7 and verse 18, and the disciples of John showed him all of these things, it means that some of John's disciples had come to where he is in prison and was reporting to him the things that the Lord Jesus was doing, right? Because the Lord Jesus, John's ministry was the forerunner of the Lord Jesus. We'll talk about that in a minute. And these two disciples, John never saw or heard the ministry of the Lord Jesus, right? He never saw him do miracles. He never heard the sermon in the mount. John was cut off in his prime, as it were, before he had opportunity to see firsthand in reality and practicality what he'd been prophesying. He never saw it. And so he's relying on his disciples to come and report to him what's happening. And it says in 18, and the disciples of John showed him of all these things that had happened. And you know already in this chapter, it may not just be the two things in the chapter, but the two things in the chapter already are magnificent things to report, aren't they? The, the centurion's son that was almost dead, and the Lord Jesus healed him with a word at a distance, right? Didn't have to go and see him, didn't have to touch him. Uh, and this, the Lord says to the centurion, you know, even in the house of Israel, the privileged people that have not found so great faith as I've found in this centurion, a remarkable miracle. And then the next miracle is the widow of Nain's son, not a, somebody about to die, but somebody already dead and been carried out to be buried in a, a, a coffin or a bier. And the Lord Jesus stops it and touches it. And there's no request made to him. There's no faith on somebody's part exercised. The Lord Jesus just goes into the life of a widow who's already lost her husband and now lost her son. And he brings blessing. And it's a marvellous thing. And so these disciples have got a lot to tell John, haven't they really? About the wonders of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says this. And then... Verse 19, and John calling unto him two of his disciples sent them to Jesus saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? So the people that bring him his, the good news, John's actually got a bit of doubt in his mind. Can you see that? Are you really the one that should come, or we to look for another? He that should come is actually a technical term. It's the coming one. And it's used a lot of places in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And it's an official title of the Messiah. And John the Baptist saying, you know, I've spent all my time ministering, being the one that's preparing, and here I am in prison. I'm starting to wonder if I got it right. Starting to wonder if I got it right. He's doubting. Do you ever doubt? Do you ever doubt? Do you ever get wee niggles in your mind and think, is this true? Well, don't feel bad about that because the greatest that was born of women, and we'll see that in a minute, had doubts in his mind. Now, doubts can be good for you or they can be bad for you, depending on how you deal with them, right? Okay? A doubt in your mind says you want to know the truth. That's what you're saying. And we're made in the image of God as thinking people. So we're not made to be brainwashed and we're not made to be just forced into things. We're made to be thinking people. And because we're thinking people, we want to be sure that what we believe is the truth. So sometimes a doubt can be a good thing for you and you say, okay, I want to check up that I've got this right. And I think this is what John's doing here. It's not that he's doubting that Jesus is not. He's just saying, look, things have happened here and I just need to be sure. I just need to be sure. That's not a bad thing. But the devil can use doubt to paralyze you folks, can he? It can so upset your mind and your heart and, and 
cause you to become obsessive with doubt that instead of it being a good thing for you, it can actually be a bad thing for you. So we're going to see how John deals with his doubt, right, okay? Because John does deal with his doubt. He says, John calling unto him two of his disciples, send them to Jesus, saying, Art thou, thou who should come, or look for another? Do you know where he took his doubts? He took his doubts directly to the Lord. Isn't that a good thing? That when we doubt, what we do is we go directly to the Lord. We don't tend to do that when we doubt, do that. We tend to retire into ourselves and our own rationale and our own thoughts and our own things. And John says, okay, I've got doubts, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go straight to the Lord and I'm going to get my Lord, the Lord to sort out the doubts. How do we do that in our life? How do we go directly to the Lord? Well, somebody says we go to the Lord in prayer. That, that, that's right, we do go to the Lord in prayer. But I don't know about you, but often my own thoughts intrude in my prayers. And often my own desires intrude in my prayers. Do you know where we go to when we've doubts? We go to the Word, don't we? And what will bring John out of his doubt is the report of the disciples about what the Lord has done. The evidence, the word of these people saying the Lord has done it. And where we go for our doubts is we don't go inside and we don't look to our psyche and we don't look to our psychology. We go to the Lord and we say, Lord, Lord, show me, tell me, tell me, speak to me, speak to me through your word. Don't speak to me in in, in feelings because my feelings can go wrong. Don't speak to me in voices because there's so much delusion in the world. Speak to me through your word. Confirm my faith in your words. And so John goes directly to, to, to the Lord. When the men were come to them, they said, John the Baptist hath said unto you, saying, Art thou he that should come, or look we for another? Right? So they're honest. They just say exactly to the Lord what John says. And that's something we should do with the Lord. If we've got doubts, we should be honest with the Lord, shouldn't we? we don't pretend. Now there's no rebuke from the Lord. There's no sense in which the Lord says, how could John think like that? After all that he saw and all, after all that he's, he's been doing and all the ministry he's done, how could, no, there's no rebuke from the Lord. No rebuke from the Lord, right? What happens is, there's a literal explosion of miracles from the Lord, right? The Lord never did miracles on demand, right? When he saw need, he performed miracles. But you couldn't make the Lord do an act. You couldn't manipulate the Lord into doing a performance. And there's so many people in our world today that profess to be Christians and all they want to do is manipulate the Lord into making a performance, don't they? Do this for me, Lord. Do that for me, Lord. Do this for me, Lord. Perform for me, Lord. Right? This is not the Lord performing. There's an explosion of miracles, and we'll see why. It says, at the same hour... In the same hour, so the the other word in the Greek is immediately. So this is in response. He cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind, he gave their sight. Then Jesus answered and said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things you have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor the gospel is preached. And blessed is he whoever shall not be offended or stumbled at me. Offended doesn't mean hurt, it just means trip up and fall. And doubts can make you trip up and fall, can they? Now, what the Lord does with his miracles, and what he does by sending a message back to John the Baptist, is say, John, 
You've read Isaiah, haven't you? Haven't you? John the Baptist was the son of a priest, right? Okay? So John the Baptist was brought up reading the Old Testament and he'd be brought up being told constantly Messiah was coming and when Messiah was coming, this was what the, some of the things he would do. And Isaiah, particularly in Isaiah 35, I'll read it to you just, just, just to prove it to you. In Isaiah 35, what Isaiah says about a mark of the, the Messiah coming, sorry, I should have been better prepared. Isaiah 35, it says, the Messiah is coming. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. They that are of a fearful heart, be strong and fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense, and he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. And the lame man shall leap as the heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sing, and the wilderness shall break out, and streams in the desert, and the parched grounds become a pool. And the Lord saying, go back and tell John, remind him of the word of God that he knows, and tell him what you've seen is a fulfilment of the word of God. You see, what, you see where John's going to put his feet? He's not going to put his feet on how he feels when he's in prison or how his circumstances are. He's going to stand firm on the word of God. And the, the, the miracles were not to say to John, look, John, I can do it and the like. He's saying, look, John, I'm the fulfillment of the word of God. And when the messengers of John were departed, he began to speak unto the people concerning John. So the first little section is about John the Baptist and how the Lord deals with his doubts. The second section is about how, jo how the Lord Jesus commends John, right? So the Lord Jesus is going to speak well about John, right? He's not going to say, look at that, I've had to prove to this guy that who I am, and he you think he would have known better, and isn't, it, isn't he? Are no, he's going to speak really well of John. <coughs> you know that the Lord Jesus wants to speak well of you, don't you? I know we feel and we fall and we sin and we know that. But do you know who is the accuser of the brethren? It's the devil. It's the devil. We read in the Ephesians uh, in Hebrews this morning, the Lord has said, your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. He's not a God that's looking, he's not a Lord that's looking to, to catch you in every fault and make you suffer for it, right? What the Lord Jesus is looking for in you is not false because it wouldn't be difficult to find them. What he's looking for you is evidence of your holiness and your character in himself. And so the Lord Jesus speaks well of John. Wouldn't it be lovely if the Lord Jesus could speak well of us? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? And he will. I'll show you that in a little minute. He began to speak unto the people concerning John. What went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? That's somebody that just goes with whatever way the wind's blowing. Eh? John was not somebody that went with the way the wind was blowing, was he? John was courageous and brave and stood up. But what went you out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in king's court. Did you go out to see a bit of a, a softy? If you've ever gone to portrait galleries and you looked at old portraits of some of these princes from the, the, the 15th and 16th century, they dress in all kind of flouncy, soft clothing, don't they? And they, they were called in those days, in the Victorian days, they were called dandies, right? That dressed all soft and nice and all that sort of stuff. And they're saying, you know, people that dress like that are in comfortable surroundings. Did you go out to the wilderness to hear somebody that was looking for comfort and dressed in soft clothing? No. But what went you out to see? A prophet. 
But look what the Lord says. And much more than a prophet. What does that mean? That means that John had something quite unique and distinctive about his ministry, didn't he? There was lots of prophets. And actually the Lord Jesus from Exodus is called the prophet, right? But John the Baptist was more than just one in the line of prophets. He was, this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. John was a prophet that had been prophesied in the Old Testament. I've been thinking about that this week. Who in the Old Testament was prophesied directly that would appear in the New Testament? Well, Mary, isn't that right? Behold, a virgin shall consume, isn't that right? The Lord Jesus, absolutely. But John the Baptist was prophesied in the Old Testament. Has there been anybody else prophesied in the Old Testament that's still to appear? Or that we've missed, for example. I'm trying to be careful what I say. We've missed nobody. We've missed nobody. The last in the line of God's prophets was who? John the Baptist. There was no prophet of God after that other than the Lord Jesus, the prophet of God. We have not missed a prophet, folks. We haven't. And the Lord Jesus says they prophesied up until John. John was the full stop at the end of the sentence when it came to prophets. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Okay. What does they that are born amongst women mean? It just means any human being. And another place, the Lord it says, you know, John the Baptist was actually the greatest human being that was ever born. Now, we're accepting Adam, we'll be back at the beginning in creation. We're accepting the Lord Jesus Christ, who is absolutely, uniquely man and uniquely God, fully and, and truly God and man. But John of all human beings, he's the greatest that ever lived. Greatest that was ever born of women. Greater than Moses, greater than Daniel, greater than Elijah, great, greater than them all. But listen to what the Lord says. But here is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. In other words, the simplest, youngest child of God that's been born into his kingdom is greater than the greatest human being that's ever been born. Isn't that magnificent? Because we are not people that are looking for earthly things and earthly honours. The whole world wants to honour you for something. The Golden Globes, right? The Oscars. The, the awards for industry. Everybody wants to give them an award for being good and for being good and for being good. And you get the Guinness Book of Records for, you know, tiddlywinks and all that sort of stuff. Everybody wants, everybody wants recognised for how great they are. Do you know what the Lord says? You could get the greatest of earthly honours, OBEs, CBEs, service and that. But the least one in my kingdom is greater than any of those. Isn't that a wonderful thing that God's done for us, folks? We don't look for earthly things and earthly plaudits and earthly awards. We're just grateful that God has taken us into his kingdom. And the blessings and benefits of being a child of God belong to him. Outstrip earthly awards and recognition infinitely. <coughs> and it says this, And all the people heard him. And the publicans, you know what publicans are, we've talked about them a few times, they're the kind of off-scouring nobodies. Justified God being baptised with the baptism of John. 
But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptised against them. There was a reaction. Some said, you know, Lord, what you're saying is true. And at that point, only the baptism of John was recognised. And so some said, okay, we're going to get baptised the way John said we should get baptised. But the religious ones, they didn't want that. They wanted to stick to the status quo of religion and they rejected it. And so the next little section is about how people are just, they just change according to whatever they want. At one time they thought John was the greatest and now they think John's no the greatest at all. And the Lord said, Whereunto shall I liken this man of this generation and to what are they like? They are like unto children sitting in a marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you and you didn't dance. Never happy, never happy. We have mourned to you and you have not wept. We did this and you did something else. We, I'm never happy with what you're doing. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine, and ye say he is a devil. Right? Why did John the Baptist come not eating or drinking wine? Because he was a Nazarite from his mother's womb. Right? Okay? Right? So he never touched wine. Right? And they say he's so unusual he must have a devil. The son of man has come eating and drinking, and you say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. <laughs> you see, they can't even make up their mind. If, he, if somebody's taking wine, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're unusual. If you're taking wine, you're a, you're a wine-bibber. You know, they're just fickle. Just change their mind to suit themselves. And that's what the world does, isn't it? Changes its mind to suit itself. Wisdom is justified of our children. Quarter past, I shouldn't be quiet. But let me just say a couple of things before I finish. This January I got two brown envelopes through the mail. One in the front said the DVLA and the other one said HMRC. Right, okay? Now when that comes, you know that that's coming with some authority behind it, don't you? The DVLA is going to ask me for my road tax and HMRC are going to ask me for my accounts and my, my self-assessment for the, for the end of January, right? And you know that when those brown envelopes come, they carry authority and they require action, right? When I read my Bible, folks, I've got three things in mind. One is the authority with which the Bible carries, right? The living God has written down his word for me. It is the ultimate and final authority, the word of God. And when I read my Bible, I've got to recognise that it's coming with authority. I've got to find out what the Bible says about God, and particularly the Lord Jesus when we look at Luke's Gospel. What is the Bible teaching me? Not about me, but what is it teaching me about what God's like? Right? Because these letters tell me that these people have got a demand on me, and I've got responsibilities for them. What does the Bible teach me about what God is like? What is the, the God that we serve like? And then what does it have a practical impact on me? In 1986, that's a long time ago, some of you don't even think that's the last century. It was the last century, wasn't it, 1986? Uh, 1986, John Richardson's mum and dad gave me a Christmas present. And I've still got it, still use it, even to this day. It was short papers by C.H. McIntosh. And I've, I've loved it ever since. C.H. McIntosh is one of my favorite. Listen to what he says about reading the Bible. We must never lose sight of the weighty fact that what we read is so that our knowledge shall increase. We must never sit down like a bookworm and read the Bible. 
We may fill our intellect with Bible knowledge. We may have doctrines of the Bible and the letter of the scripture at our fingertips without any particular unction or spiritual power. We must go to the scripture as a thirsty man goes to a well, as a hungry man goes to a meal, and as a mariner goes to the champ. We must go to the Bible because we cannot do without it. I think that's good advice, folks, aren't we? And the reason I'm saying that is because I just want to say one or two things about doubt. About doubt. What is God like? God is good and God is trustworthy, folks. God is good and God is trustworthy. We must never lose sight of that. And John knew that. John knew that. Because his whole life had been surrounded by the word of God and the faithfulness of God. And John knew that. But something happened to make him doubt. So what can we learn about that for ourselves? Right? What do you think made him doubt? What do you think made him doubt? A couple of things... I thought about make, make him do. One of the things that made him do was he found himself in jail, right? So his personal circumstances had turned to the worst. Well, here's me being faithful to God. Here's me serving God. And I'm expecting everything to turn out right for me. And instead I've ended up in jail. <laughs> My personal circumstances don't commend themselves to me. My personal circumstances are not saying God's looking after me. You know, my personal circumstances are are bad. Sometimes our personal circumstances can cause us to doubt, can they? Nothing wrong with that, folks. Nothing wrong with that, folks. There is, however, another side to that. There is a heinously evil doctrine abroad amongst evangelical Christians that said that God wants everything for you on earth. He wants you to be rich. He wants you to be well. He wants you to have the best. If you want, you should have a Mercedes the same as I have a Mercedes. And if you don't have it, well, that's your problem, no God's. Do you know what that does? That consigns people to a life of doubt. Because if it doesn't all work out well, what do you do? Well, God says I want. God says I have to be rich. God says I have to have a big house. God says I have to have a big car. God says I have to have this, and I'm not getting it. It must be me that's a problem. And people just are consigned. And the preachers, you say, you know. You should be like me. I've got my Mercedes. I've got my gold stuff. You know, you know, you should, that's how everybody, God wants everybody to be like this. And then your personal circumstances go completely upside down. You lose your job. You struggle to pay your mortgage. You have bereavement. You don't have a car. You want to have a car. And you find yourself in really difficult circumstances and you start to think, does that mean, does that mean God's no faithful? So that, that could be a cause for doubt, couldn't it? That could be a cause for doubt. And these preachers consign people to a life of doubt by telling them because your circumstances are no ideal, there must, God's, there must be something wrong with you. God's not blessing you properly. God wants to bless you more. That's heinous and evil. And if you're watching the BBC and you're watching some of this stuff that's going out in documentaries, even the BBC is exposing that these days. And I don't commend the BBC often, to be quite honest with you. One of the things... I think that John misunderstood was God's... He didn't have the full information about what God's plan was like. He he just didn't have all the gaps filled in. Because he is the prophet of Malachi chapter 3, isn't he? The the, the end of the Old Testament says the messenger's going to come before the Lord, he's going to prepare the way for the Lord, and the Lord's going to come in triumph and judgment. So John's got in his mind all this idea 
that when the Messiah comes, the Romans will be dispelled, the, the, the Israels will become the head of the nations again, and we'll, the, we'll be the conqueror, and everything will be fine. And he's, he's forgotten that between the Lord's coming first time and the Lord's coming second time, there's suffering, there's suffering. And he hasn't just quite got the plan all figured out. And he realises that he's missing some pieces of the jigsaw. <coughs> Folks, do you ever think that you've never got, you haven't got the whole plan figured out? <laughs> eh? There's only one that's got the plan figured out, and that's the Lord, isn't it? And the Lord knows the path he'll take us, and the Lord knows the grace that he'll give us. But sometimes we get our own idea about this, don't we? This is the way the Lord wants for us. This is what the Lord wants for us. This is what, this is what the plan is. And then when it doesn't work out, what do you think? You think, is the Lord faithful to me? But what we realise is, we don't realise is, we don't have the whole picture. The Lord's got the whole picture. And so again, how does he deal with his doubt? He goes to the Lord and he says, Lord, tell me, will you? What does the Lord do? John, how could you be so doubtful? No, he doesn't say, look, go back and tell him. Go back and tell him. Go back and tell him that what's written in Isaiah, I'm doing. And it might not be what he wants right at the now, but one day that will come to pass. Folks, if you're doubting, and I don't know a Christian that doesn't doubt, eh? Eh? Make sure it's a healthy doubt. Don't let the devil paralyze you with doubt. Take it straight to the Lord. Take it straight to his word. And you'll find the Lord very, very faithful. That second section about the Lord's commendation of the Lord, of John the Baptist, is amazing. Amazing. And John, in 1 Corinthians 4, the Lord says, Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes. Then it says this, Of Christians, however feeling or however fault of been says then shall every man have praise of God our God is gracious and kind and loving and forgiving and he's looking for a me and you this week he's looking for something that he can commend may the Lord help us to trust him and take all our doubts to him let's pray Lord thank you for your word thank you for the Lord Jesus thank you for his gracious way in which he deals with his people and we thank you for great examples in the Bible that encourage us to move forward. Thank you, Lord, for our time of worship together, our time of remembrance, our time of singing and praying, and our time of reading your word. And we thank you for this refreshment that we've got provided now and give thanks in the Lord's name. Amen. <laughs>